Corinth, Greece was the center of some of the Apostle Paul's greatest missionary exploits. Biblical Corinth was a seaport with a fairly large Jewish population, but it was also a place of corruption and paganism that faced many of the same moral dilemmas that challenge us today. When Paul came here after experiencing the sophisticated academic atmosphere of Athens, he was determined not to rely on men's wisdom, but solely to proclaim the wisdom of God. Hello and welcome to Exploits. I'm Christine Darg. In this program, we'll look at some of the teachings of the Apostle Paul and we'll even dare to tackle the subject of Paul's opinion of women in the ministry. that he came to Corinth not just to preach but also to demonstrate the gospel's power. That was truly a bold claim because many claim they're sent by God but when the messenger claims he'll actually demonstrate the power of the gospel well that's really saying something. And so for 18 months Paul preached and demonstrated the gospel in Corinth. During this time he established a church and then he moved on to other cities. But after his departure, the Corinthian converts began to divide into opposing cliques. They fell into the era of following men rather than God. Some gave their allegiance to Paul, while others claimed to be followers of another preacher named Apollos. When news of these divisions actually reached Paul, he wrote the Corinthians a letter to rebuke them for divisions and worldliness. To illustrate his point, Paul likened himself and Apollos to farmers or gardeners. He said, I've planted, that is, he sowed the seeds of the Word of God in their hearts. Then he said, Apollos came along and watered the seed. By his further teachings, Apollos had cultivated the seed that Paul had planted. But it was God who gave the increase. God made the seed of truth spring to life in their hearts to bring them to faith in Messiah. And this truth hasn't changed. God alone can bring seeds of truth to life in our hearts. Well, Paul appreciated the presence of God in his own life. And he also wanted the Corinthians to experience the presence of God rather than falling into factions. We also must discover and cultivate the presence of God, which is more important than any imperfect teacher in our lives. The Holy Spirit is our teacher. All over the world, many Christians are being persecuted for their faith. And what sustains persecuted believers in an hour of loneliness? Jesus promised, I will be, be with you always, even to the end of the world. And David Livingston, the lonely pioneer missionary to Africa, said that promise of the Lord 
I will be with you always, sustained him day by day. This we've got to learn. The best teachers and preachers in the world can't take the Lord's place. Paul also rebuked the Corinthians for boasting and being puffed up. They hadn't yet learned that the cross of Messiah is a place of execution, and we have to pick up that cross and let all pride and boasting go to it. Well, during his missionary travels, Paul wrote two epistles to the early church in Corinth, and 1 Corinthians chapter 13, a dissertation on love, is perhaps one of the most beloved passages in the entire Bible. Paul's first epistle to the Corinthian church addressed many issues, some related to the believer's conduct in a difficult pagan society, and other issues pertain to conduct within the churches. For example, how should women behave? And should women wear head coverings in church? Should they be silent? What about women and the exercise of the gifts of the Spirit? Were the gifts of the Spirit to be exercised only by men? Well, to this day, opinions concerning head coverings on women in church generally fall into two camps, especially in the Eastern Orthodox churches and in some very conservative Western churches. One group believes that head coverings for women were intended for permanent application, but the other viewpoint argues that Women's head coverings were a custom only of Paul's day, and therefore his preference is not binding for today. The circumstances in New Testament times appear to have been similar to those in some Muslim countries today, where women veil their hair and sometimes veil their faces in public, but they remove these coverings at home. It's the interpretation of many Bible scholars that Paul addressed a custom of society, not a command by God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 5 to 6, Paul argued for head coverings on the basis of propriety, according to society's customs in Judea and elsewhere. In verse 13, he said, Judge among yourselves, is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered. By asking, is it proper? Paul was reasoning from a sense of what was right in society. But when a matter was considered to be the Lord's divine will, Paul exercised his apostolic authority. And there's a big difference, isn't there, between exercising judgment and obeying a divine command. So in the case of head coverings, Paul's appeal was based on people's own judgment. He also had a theological appeal because of the angels, meaning that a head covering is a sign or a show of submission to authority. But mainly his appeal was cultural. This is because female prostitutes in Corinth actually advertise themselves by not wearing veils or shawls. Paul's concern was that nobody should mistake a believer for a pagan because of dress or hairstyle. Generally speaking, Paul was careful to protect the gospel from legalism when it came to dress or eating. 
He encouraged believers to act in harmony when the customs of the people, as long as the customs didn't contradict scripture. He said, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God and give no offense either to the Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God. You see, he tried to please all men and all things, not seeking his own profit, but seeking the benefit of everybody else so that they might be saved. Paul's strategy was to be all things to all people so that he might win some. And for this reason, I also tried to adapt myself and wear head coverings when preaching in certain countries in the Orient where people would be offended otherwise. People are more likely to receive the gospel message if we blend in with their customs as long as we don't compromise Bible principles. Westerners don't realize how offensive our casual garments can be in other places of the world. For example, Western women who wear sleeveless tops and shorts exposing a lot of flesh shock the sensibilities of many people in the East. A pastor in Pakistan, for example, asked me why women preachers on TV are insensitive to their worldwide audiences by preaching in slacks and jeans. It's a question that shouldn't be overlooked or mocked if we truly want to reach all people. Now, moving on from head coverings to a subject concerning women that's even more controversial, let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. This is a chapter which primarily concerns the topic of gifts of the Spirit and especially speaking in tongues. And these gifts are to be exercised by all men and women. For example, in verse 26 of this chapter, Paul said, when you come together, in other words, when you come to have a worship service, each of you, each of you implies both men and women. Each of you should have a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue or an interpretation of a tongue. Everything must be done so that the church may be built up, he said. Paul wrote in passing within the context of this chapter that women should be silent in the churches, although he clearly had just stated that gifts such as speaking in tongues, prophesying, are to be exercised by all. So what was Paul really saying? First of all, let's read the controversial text as it's actually translated in most English translations starting with verse 31. For you all may prophesy one by one that all may learn and all may be encouraged. Verse 32. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. This speaks of exercising self-control. Verse 33. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace as in all of the churches of the believers. Verse 34, Let your women keep silent in churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but they are to be submissive, as the law also says. And if they want to learn anything, let them ask their own husbands at home, 
For it is shameful for women to speak in church. That women should be silent is the way Paul's words are translated, as I said, in most English translations. But this is a controversial passage that's very difficult to exegete. Okay, let's try to get into the root of what Paul was actually saying. This passage must not be studied in isolation and taken out of context and thrown into women's faces. Its proper understanding should harmonize with the entirety of Scripture, including Paul's own words elsewhere. An honest and mature believer will rightly divide God's Word and interpret Scripture with Scripture on this subject and see what it means in its context. First of all, it's extremely important to keep in mind that it was in Corinth that Paul had first become acquainted with a husband and wife ministry team, Priscilla and Aquila, with whom Paul worked and traveled. Priscilla was a Bible teacher, and sometimes her name is mentioned in the Bible before her husband's name is mentioned. So if Priscilla was a co-laborer with Paul, why his seemingly absolute command, at least in the English translations of the Greek, that women should remain silent in the churches. Bear also in mind that churches often met in houses. For example, a woman named Lydia opened her home as a church in Acts chapter 16. It's doubtful that Paul would have expected Lydia to remain silent in her own house church, nor Priscilla to be silent in the church that met in her home. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and 5, Paul clearly sanctioned women who prayed and prophesied. And in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 28, Paul preached equality, saying there's neither male nor female. We're all one in Messiah. Also, please note that in Romans chapter 16, first verse, Paul commended a woman named Phoebe a deaconess. Now, the word translated deaconess is also translated on several occasions in the New Testament as minister. So Phoebe was properly a minister of the gospel. And furthermore, Paul complimented a female apostle named Junia in that same chapter, Romans chapter 16, verse 7, as being eminent, highly regarded, and one who had preceded him in coming to know Messiah. The fact that Junia was a woman is seldom contested today among theologians. Now, going back to the passage about women being silent in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, we must also bear in mind a very important fact that in the Greek language, the same word for a woman also means wife. In the context of 1 Corinthians chapter 14, Paul is clearly talking about maintaining order during the worship gatherings. Therefore, 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 34 could be translated, wives should be silent, because as I said, the same Greek word for woman is also translated wives in many passages of the New Testament, such as in the book of Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 25, where Paul exhorts husbands to love their wives.
So when Paul said, let the women keep silent, he was referring to church order and to wives who were disruptive. Quite possibly, scholars say, these disorderly wives were unconverted wives. The church at Corinth would know exactly which wives Paul meant when he wrote this letter of instruction. To discover whether Paul was referring to women in general or to specific wives, we have to rely on contextual clues. In this epistle, Paul is answering questions and the context of the controversy is verse 33 concerning a noisy gift, speaking in tongues, where Paul says, God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. A clue that these wives were unconverted is found in the comment that Paul adds, where he says, and if they desire to learn anything, let them ask their own husbands at home. The phrase, and if they desire to learn anything, expresses doubt that they were true believers. So Paul did not prohibit any women to speak because we know he allowed them to prophesy, but he reprimanded specific wives and instructed quite possibly unconverted wives to simply learn from their believing husbands at home and not to disrupt the meeting. And here's another important point that's often taught as an explanation for why Paul called for order and for the women or the wives to be silent. We also have to consider a logistical fact that men and women sat separately in a segregated manner in New Testament days. But you know, they also sit separately in Eastern churches to this day. I've witnessed this separation many times in churches in the Middle East, in, for example, Jordan, when I visited in Syria and in Egypt, and also in churches in Asia, such as India and Pakistan. I've seen the women sitting differently from the men in different sections. And so it would have been rude and noisy for wives on the other side of the room to try to talk across to their husbands. From a practical, mannerly viewpoint, it makes sense that these wives should shut up and talk later at home with their husbands. Remembering that in this passage, the Greek word for women equally could be translated wives, I want now to give you a literal translation. Paul says, for it is improper for a woman or a wife to speak among the true believers are they called out ones? You see, in English, we say church, but literally, the word is ecclesia, meaning the called out ones, the true believers. Paul was saying it's improper for an unconverted wife to speak among the true believers, are the called out ones. Since Paul clearly made allowances for women to prophesy and to participate in the gifts of the Spirit, we must honestly acknowledge that Paul didn't deny the right of women to exercise spiritual gifts during worship services, but he would expect an unbelieving wife to be submissive and not to speak out, or he would expect a woman on the other side of the room not to shout. Therefore, a Christian man or a Christian woman 
with a gift of encouragement must be allowed to exhort. As Paul clearly instructed in 1 Corinthians 14, 26, anybody could, he said. A Christian man or a Christian woman with a gift of faith, both must be allowed to offer a prayer of faith. A truly converted man or a truly converted woman with a word of wisdom must be allowed to share their wisdom or revelation with the congregation. A believer, whether male or female, with a musical gift must be allowed to sing a hymn of praise. A male or female believer with a gift of prophecy or a gift of tongues must be allowed to speak in order and so forth. Paul was merely being careful about the influence of unruly women who were out of order and who required correction, which has been known to happen. And also, it's very important to note that these verses about wives in 1 Corinthians 14 were written in the context of a discussion on the gift of the Spirit, that noisy gift called speaking in tongues. In Greek culture, there was the very famous Oracle of Delphi, where, like the Diana cult in Ephesus, occultic priestesses were involved. The priestess at Delphi would inhale fumes of ethylene floating up out of the earth at Delphi, causing the priestess to babble incoherently. A scribe would write an interpretation, and in this manner, occultic fortunes were told. Well, the clear counterfeit to the Holy Spirit's gift of tongues is obvious. So after all of this discussion, I will offer you a fair paraphrase again. In uh, verse 31 of Corinthians 14, Paul says very clearly, for all of you may prophesy one by one so that everyone can learn and be comforted. Now I ask you, does all mean all men and women? Yes, Paul was saying, all you men and women may prophesy. Then he said in verse 32, referring to self-control, but the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. So you can control your manner of behavior in a meeting. In verse 33, for God is not a God of disorder, but of harmony as in all of the churches. Tell the wives in the services to keep silent, for it's not permissible for them to interrupt things. They're to be in subjection to their husbands as the Torah teaches. And here Paul was referring to Genesis chapter 3 and verse 16. So if they have any question, let them ask their husbands at home, for it's disgraceful for a wife to speak out of order and interrupt worship. I believe that's all Paul was saying in this particular short passage. He wasn't stopping women from prophesying or teaching, but he was reprimanding the unruly ones, and the readers of this epistle would know exactly who he was talking about. Surprisingly, in studying the various English translations available today of this passage, the Message Bible comes closest to giving an honest reading of what Paul was actually saying. And so I'm going to read you that Message Bible, uh, verses 34 to 36, of 1 Corinthians 14. Wives must not disrupt worship. 
talking when they should be listening, asking questions that could more appropriately be asked of their husbands at home. God's book of the law guides our manners and customs here. Wives have no license to use the time of worship for unwarranted speaking. Do you, both men and women, imagine that you're a sacred oracle determining what's right and wrong? Do you think everything revolves around you? But there's another New Testament verse I have to mention by Paul that's always raised in opposition to women holding positions of ministry and leadership and speaking in churches. One scholar has said that 1 Timothy 2.12 is one of the most difficult Bible verses to exegete. In this verse, Paul said he did not suffer a woman to teach or to usurp authority over a man. This is a key verse in the ongoing debate between what's called complementarianism and egalitarianism. Complementarianism is a view that men and women are of equal worth but have different and complementary roles in church and society. Whereas egalitarianism argues for no distinctions between men and women when it comes to serving God. Well, as a Hebrew scholar, Paul wouldn't have forgotten the many women in the Hebrew scriptures who were allowed to speak on behalf of God. Prophetesses like Miriam and Hulda and the judge Deborah. Remember, Hulda even taught in a school. Because of Paul's positive references elsewhere to Christian women and because he sanctioned Priscilla as a teacher, some scholars and theologians argue that 1 Timothy 1.12, Paul was addressing a problem in the Ephesian church where his protege Timothy was pastor. As I noted earlier, Paul certainly permitted Priscilla to teach and Therefore, 1 Timothy 2.12 must be interpreted in light of other scriptures and the context. Because Ephesus had a female fertility cult dedicated to Diana, theologians surmise that Paul was correcting and instructing a multicultural congregation. He didn't permit unqualified, heretical women to teach. In effect, he was saying, Women in Ephesus, where the goddess Diana is worshipped, should first become learners and quit acting as teachers or usurping the authority of recognized teachers. Just as Eve, rather than Adam, was deceived into error, unqualified persons will get themselves and the church into trouble. Yet, as Eve became the means and the first beneficiary of promised salvation, so Ephesian women should aspire to maturity and competency as well as positions of service in the church. Well, I sincerely hope this Bible study originating in Corinth has been helpful and that truly submissive women will flourish in the assemblies of God and that will enjoy exercising the gifts of the Spirit as the Lord leads each one of us. And if you'd like to watch this program again or visit any of our programs 24-7, please check out our website at exploits.tv. Also, you'll find me, Christine Dark, in Exploits Ministry on Facebook or Twitter. 
while visiting our website or social media, you can request our free eight-page color magazine exploits. Until next time, don't forget to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Shalom. Hello and welcome to the Western Wall Plaza. I'm Christine Darg, and behind me here in Jerusalem is the famous Mount of Olives. And Jesus used that as a parable when he spoke of problems. He said, if you have a problem, don't pray to the mountain, don't think, don't meditate to the mountain. But he said, speak to the mountain, speak to the problem. Now, God's ways are not our ways, and His ways are higher than our ways. Because what do we normally do when we have a problem? We get on the telephone, we ring our friends, or we call somebody on the internet. But the Lord said, speak to the problem. Use your commanding power in His name to make the problem go. And I've written a book called Speak to the Mountain, and this is a teaching on our Lord's own teaching when he said, if you will speak to the problem, if you will say what you believe, you will have whatsoever you say. I want you to have this book. There are many messages in here that I've preached here in Jerusalem on healing, how to have divine health. And I'd like for you to get your own copy. It's very easy to do. Just go to our website at exploits.tv. I'm wishing you health and Shalom from Jerusalem.